This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Hello, my name is Gary Dillon. I am a board-certified pediatric cardiologist and current clinical fellow in critical care medicine at the Department of Anesthesiology, Critical Care, and Pain Medicine at Boston Children's Hospital at the Harvard Medical School. And today we'll be discussing Brugada syndrome, a review and pearls for the anesthesiologist intensivist. I have no disclosures for this presentation. This lecture is purely for educational purposes, and the information provided in this lecture should not be used as a replacement for the expert advice of cardiology, anesthesiology, and intensive care consultations. In this lecture, my objectives will be threefold. To provide a brief review of Brugada syndrome, to review the electrocardiogram examples of Brugada syndrome, and to provide a brief review of perioperative considerations in patients with Brugada syndrome. Brugada syndrome has a prevalence of 5 to 20 per 10,000 and is endemic to Southeast Asia, where the prevalence is much higher at 1 per 2,500. There is a male predominance in this syndrome with 80% of patients having this condition being male, and it accounts for approximately 4% of cases of sudden cardiac death. The mutation Brugada syndrome is due to a mutation of the SCN5A gene, which is inherited in an autosomal dominant fashion and results in loss of function of sodium ion channels, which is seen in 25% of those with gene-positive Brugada disease. Now that aspect of it being a loss of function of that sodium ion channel becomes important as a indicating factor when you're reviewing and understanding how Brugada syndrome can be brought about by drugs and how it's different from a different gene mutation in SCN5A results in a gain of function mutation that results in long QT syndrome, which is discussed in a separate channelopathy lecture. But for Brugada syndrome, this is due to a loss of function in the SCN5A sodium channel gene. The EKG characteristic findings of Brugada syndrome are the presence of a right bundle branch block ST elevation in the precordial leads V1 through V3, and negative T waves, or inverted T waves. When someone refers to a Brugada pattern, what they're referring to is the actual EKG findings in the absence of symptoms. When the syndrome itself is present, it's a presence of both the constellation of EKG findings and symptoms, and those cardiac symptoms being things such as lightheadedness, dizziness, presyncope, syncopal events, arrhythmias, and even sudden cardiac death events. I've shown you here examples of the three different types of Brugada that are classically present, type 1, type 2, and type 3. And what you'll note that characteristically defines these three different types are shown here. As you can see, the right bundle branch pattern is seen in all three types with the presence of an R, S, R prime wave in the QRS complex. And then more characteristically, in type one, what you'll see is this coved ST segment elevation that is greater than two millimeters above the baseline, which continues into T wave inversion in V1 through V3 leads. So this is a very characteristic classic finding with Brugada in type one. The less obvious 
patterns that are noted in type 2 and type 3, as you'll see here with type 2, is not so much the coved ST segment elevation, but you have more of a saddleback shaped ST segment. With the J-point elevation being greater than 2 millimeters above the baseline in the precordial leads, with the terminal portion of the ST segment being elevated greater than 1 millimeter in type 2. Whereas in type 3, it's similar to type 2, but the terminal portion of the ST segment is elevated less than 1 millimeter above the baseline. With Brugada syndrome, a drug challenge can be administered that can effectively bring out the pattern seen. And those can be used in cases where the diagnosis is not characteristically noted in EKG or the diagnosis is potentially questionable. Now, if you'll remember, Brugada syndrome is due to a loss of sodium channel function. So it makes sense that if you were to use a sodium channel blocker, you can further potentiate that characteristic loss of sodium channel function that is in Brugada that can bring out these findings. So, for example, the most classically used uh, drug challenge uh, is with procanamide, which is a type 1 sodium channel blocker antiarrhythmic. The indications for its use in Brugada syndrome, although not characteristically done anymore, theoretically can be done when you have a type 2 or type 3 pattern present, a non-diagnostic EKG, and both of those in the setting of a high suspicion for Brugada syndrome in a patient when the family history of sudden cardiac death or known Brugada is present. What you would characteristically see with a drug challenge would be ST segment elevation. More bringing out of that right bundle branch block with the ST segment elevation in the precordial leads, the presence of ventricular arrhythmias, and a widening of the QRS by greater than 30%. When Brugada syndrome or the pattern itself is diagnosed, treatments uh, are available, however, they are somewhat limited. Uh, as opposed to other channelopathies, where beta blockade has been shown to be quite uh, helpful to minimize the uh, risk of life-threatening arrhythmias, the, the benefit of beta blockade in Brugada is more limited. Quinidine has shown in some studies to provide benefit, and there are indications for ICD placement in this population. A very important website or takeaway I'd like you to have from this is the brugadadrugs.org website. It's very beneficial, but for not only patients, for patient families, and also for clinicians as well. And this website provides lists of drugs uh, that, if used in Brugada syndrome, can potentiate life-threatening arrhythmias and should thereby be avoided. And they're separated by drugs to be avoided and contraindicated, drugs to be preferentially avoided, and other potential antiarrhythmic drugs that should not be used in these populations. Another important takeaway that I think is very uh, beneficial to keep in mind in patients where Brugada syndrome is diagnosed or there's a concern for it is to avoid hyperthermia, to avoid fevers. We know that hyperthermia in Brugada syndrome can lead to premature inactivation of thermosensitive sodium channels. And if we recall, if you already have a loss of sodium channel function that can potentiate life-threatening arrhythmias in Brugada syndrome, further inactivation of sodium channels increases that risk and therefore can trigger ventricular arrhythmias in this population. Another important aspect to keep in mind is most sudden cardiac death arrest events in this population occur during sleep during periods of high vagal tone. You can see here a characteristic Brugada pattern EKG. Once again, with the focus being on the precordial leads, particularly V1 through V3, you'll see the blue arrow pointing towards that right bundle branch pattern, 
the R, S, or prime in V1 through V3. And the red arrows pointing to, in this case, a very characteristic type 1 Brugada pattern with the coved ST segment elevation followed by the T wave inversion in the precordial leads. Intraoperative considerations for Brugada syndrome. Consider having pads in place if required for life-threatening ventricular arrhythmias. Although propofol use is debated in this population due to some in vitro studies that have shown that propofol affects sodium currents and cardiomyocytes in a dose-dependent manner, other studies have shown that it can be used safely in patients with Brugada syndrome, and as of yet, there are no clear contraindications to its use. Ketamine results in a dose-dependent sodium channel blockade and should be preferentially avoided in large doses. Non-depolarizing neuromuscular blockade has been shown to be safe and effective in Brugada syndrome without adverse effects. If arrhythmias do present intraoperatively, it's very important to identify certain things. Most importantly, the presence of hyperthermic states or fever and controlling those hyperthermic states to allow a patient to be either normothermic or slightly hypothermic, as we know that fever is a very common inciting trigger for arrhythmias in Brugada syndrome. Identify periods of high vagal tone. As we know, the high vagal tone is also another trigger. Consider things like sympathomimetics, if needed, to resolve periods of high vagal tone. Monitoring for signs of pre- and intraoperative electrolyte derangements or correcting those derangements in patients who present with arrhythmias. Identifying the use of any sodium channel blockers or any medications that put a patient at risk for inciting Brugada syndrome. And then if needed, if significant life-threatening arrhythmias result, following general PALS algorithm for cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Considering things like isoproteranolol and vagolytics to decreased vagal tone in this population. And then having the consultation of your cardiology and cardiovascular anesthesiology colleagues in high-risk patients with Brugada syndrome. Postoperative considerations include monitoring for arrhythmias in the postoperative period. For the first 24 to 48 hours, in the telemetry monitoring unit may be recommended. So important takeaway points for Brugada syndrome are one, the Brugada pattern, which is a right bundle branch block with ST segment elevation in V1 through V3 and negative T waves. Avoiding hyperthermic states in this population and understanding that Lethal arrhythmias can present in this population in pairs of high vagal tone. And then BrugataDrugs.org is a very useful resource, not only for clinicians, but also for patient and patient families, as referral sources for medications to be avoided in patients with this syndrome. Additional take-home points include the importance of planning perioperative management accordingly, as a prior history of sudden cardiac arrest or syncope places patients with Brugada syndrome at higher risk for subsequent events. Additionally, Brugada patients have a higher risk of atrial fibrillation compared to the baseline population, and a history of atrial fibrillation places one with Brugada syndrome at a higher risk for ventricular arrhythmias. Thank you. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.